This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody and welcome to Analyzing Anfield. I'm your host Christian Walsh and with me as always is Josh Williams. Don't know what number episode this is now to be honest. We've been doing it long enough so uh, maybe we'll start giving them nice little titles instead. This one is known as the one after Liverpool very, very nearly won the Premier League. I know there's a bit of a heavy heart saying that, but you've got to be proud of them. You have to, uh, you know, you have to, you just have to take it on the chin, I suppose, and, and, and say that the Premier League saw two absolutely phenomenal, fantastic teams. Hopefully, you're not too down. I know I'm not too down. Josh, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm all right. I didn't yeah. expect, didn't expect that, to be honest. You said for a long, long time, Brighton, no chance. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, that, that, it's not one of your most insightful comments, I think, ever. <laughs> a lot of people said that, but. You know, they give us that little glimmer of hope, didn't they? Do you know what? I'm surprised they even give us that. <laughs> I'm genuinely shocked that they even took the lead. First time since December that says you conceded the first goal. Yeah, it's the third time all season that they've conceded the opening goal. And in them two other matches, this is the this is the dagger in the heart. Now, in them two other matches, one draw, one loss. Mm. So this is the first time all season that they've conceded the opening goal. And went on to win. So it was the first comeback win, basically. First comeback win, yeah, really. Uh, which is frustrating. I want, one thing I've said, I'm not sure if I've actually mentioned it on the pod, is I'd like them to just be tested and just go go a goal down or have to find a goal from somewhere. A um, little bit scrappy and things. and It was never happening, but for Brighton to score the first goal, I suppose you could perceive that as some kind of test, even though it only lasted about 80 seconds. <laughs> What an easy seconds that was, though. Absolutely. They stayed into the gates of Valhalla, I did. I, I tasted heaven. Um, I'm sure we all did. But look, let's just ourselves down. Fantastic season to, to look over, um, which we will do. Uh, might as well just kick off before you know before we start and say this will be continuing over the summer. We'll be doing all sorts of reviews. We'll be doing all sorts of you know player reviews, strengths, weaknesses, a little bit of transfers as well. Uh, Q&As will keep this going throughout the summer there's going to be loads to talk about of course that little uh, matter of a Champions League final as well um, so what we'll do today first and foremost we'll look at Wolves then a little bit of the season overall and then we'll have a little tiny preview to Madrid so let's start with Wolves because um, Liverpool did have a game of football to play they had a game of football to win they kept Man City honest to the very last day Um I don't know about you, Josh. I didn't really watch it. <laughs> I spent half my time on my phone on uh, my uh, my betting app, um, which was given live updates as it happened. Um, but you know, in general, um, Liverpool yet again, you know, two nil victory against the you know the seventh best side in the Premier League. Yeah, it was a it was a decent win. I think the performance was a bit scrappy, and I think that stems from the the loss of focus. Let's say when. Um, you know, obviously your mind's elsewhere to an extent. It's, it's one of them where you're playing. But you know that regardless of whether you win 10-0 or, or whatever, it's, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I think once the crowd starts getting up and then they went quiet and things like that, I think the players are just second-guessing what's actually going on. And I think if you, it, it offers an insight into how focused we've been all season, how driven we've been and focused on a task at hand. Because... You know, I think it offered it offered an insight into what our plays like when we're a bit maybe off it and we're a bit not fully in the game mentally. Uh, the game goes a bit scrappy, turns into a bit of a pinball game, and we can't sustain attacks as well. But you know, we got the win. I, I, I did think we'd win the game anyway. Thought Wolves were a decent side. They are a decent side, but. You know, we got the win, which was important, but unfortunately, it didn't didn't bring on a title. I think because of the way that you know the game transpired, and you know, yes, you know, as 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 we always say on this show, we we like to you know not talk about intangibles, and I feel like this game there is a lot of intangibles. I don't I don't think you can deny that what's going on, you know, two hundred miles down south has an impact, and therefore, how much can you talk about tactics when sometimes it is just about rolling your sleeves up and um, you know, and sort of regaining that concentration. I don't think it'd be fair to, to you know go in too hard on certain players' performances. It's just one of those high pressure situations that you can't really quantify. Um, so I, I want to focus a little bit about Sadio Mane. Um, I think we spoke about him on an earlier episode. 
they're all available in the uh, Blood Red archives. And I think it was after the Fulham game. Um, and I think we got a little bit of stick because we were talking about him and Salah um, and how Salah's still possibly the main man. Um, but ultimately, they, 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 they finished level on, on goals there, um, along with Aubameyang. 22 goals makes them... All three uh, top goal scorer, uh, all got a nice little golden boost as well. Um, how you know? I think we we got a little bit of stick because we were sort of saying you know Salah is is still the elite player, if you will, and and maybe Mane isn't quite that level. I mean, has anything changed over the past six weeks, or can we now consider Sadio Mane as a one of the best players in the Premier League, b one of the best players in Europe, and c a player that you know Liverpool can consider as as an elite option up front. Yeah, well, do you know what? I'm a, I was a little bit surprised by how he's developed as the course of the season's gone on. Uh, when we initially talked after Fulham, we I I kind of had the perception that it's a bit of a burst mm. and it's to do with you know a hot run of form, if you like, and it will probably tail off and that was just based on his underlying numbers and his, his career record since he's been at Anfield uh, but he, he does seem to have under you know under the radar progressed onto a bit of a bit of a new level slightly new level in terms of consistency and his influence on, on matches I do still think that Salah's the superior attacker but I do think at the same time that Mane's bridged the gap to an extent He's still, I think it's certainly in accordance with numbers, he's still very, he, d- he doesn't engage in creation enough mm. for his teammates. 29 goals across the, cro- across the course of the season, I think that's including his country actually, should have edited that. And only five assists, um, 0.12 expected assists, 0.12 expected assists, per 90, which is... It's just you know, every 10 games, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's... and if you compare it to the other elite players in the league, it's it's off. Um, say, for example, Firmino, 0.18. Salah, 0.25. Eriksen, 0.23. Sane, 0.25. Hazard, 0.33. So, and, and these players still on the whole score goals too. Mm-hmm. Marnie's definitely got the goals about him, and he's definitely that you know that penetrative threat who's running in behind and really threatening in a goal-scoring sense. But I think he can do more in terms of creating for his for his teammates. So that's the next step of his development. I mean, do you, do you think this is maybe what a Klopp design though in terms of he's you know because I've never really associated Marnie with 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 that sort of dispense split and pass or. You know that 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 chance creation that you talk about, maybe Salah having. Um, you know, so I I wouldn't personally label Salah as a a defence splitting passer, though, would you? No, I'm thinking about maybe a way to put his teammates into critical positions. Well, I'm thinking about maybe the the goal of Bayern, which Mane scored. Um, you know, it's a fantastic scoop ball, isn't it? Right on a plate. Uh, yeah, he's 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 not a he's he's not a. God, I'm trying to think of a you know he's he's not he's not he's that not type of player. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't sort of split the defence, but he, he he does create chances. And it's you know as as it says there, it's almost an assist every four games, expected assist every four games. Um, is it just because maybe that's not necessarily in Manny's skill set? And look, that's no bad thing. Yeah, and Klopp's identified that this lad can finish. Um, he's got fantastic movements, incredible off the ball awareness, and therefore he's just going to have him basically on that left hand side. As a as a poacher, yeah, he's certainly an asset. He's certainly an elite player, as as you mentioned. It's just an area of his game that you know, as an all round complete attacker, mm. Salah has. And it, I, you know, I'm not saying here that Mane is not creative. Obviously, he's a creative player. You watch him play, but I mean, strictly in terms of creating scoring opportunities for his teammates, for the likes of Salah and Firmino, and any on Russian midfielders. He's, you know, he's below average, let's say, in that. Um, but he's he's also got certain things on Salah. Like, I think he's faster than Salah, personally. I think he's more explosive than yeah, Salah. I was say explosive. Um, he's better aerially, aerially <laughs> without a doubt. He, you know, we mentioned last week that he was 
I think he was on five at the time. He's he on six goals. now. He's yeah. on six now. He's ended the season level with Mitrovic and Chris Wood, who both play for you know direct teams who who play to those strengths. Um, I think Mane's benefited significantly um, since we've really incorporated Trent Alexander-Arnold crossing ability. I think gradually as Trent's played more of a part, Mane's played more of a part. Um, which is interesting. It'll be interesting to follow that, you know, as as Trent continues to develop. Um, and I think Mane's almost, you know, the, our whole front three is extremely unpredictable, but I think Mane is possibly the most unpredictable in terms of, you know, recklessness and and elements of raw play to your game. Sometimes it can hinder him, but sometimes it works for him too. Uh, I've watched plenty of interviews with opposing opposing teams, opposing players. I remember Danny Rose, I think it was, saying that man is the, the most difficult player he's faced. Uh, I was watching Sky this week. They asked Sol Bamber who would he rather play against out of Salah and Mane. He said he'd want to avoid Mane more. Um, he's just a, a top attacker, a scary opponent from an opposition perspective. But just in terms of critically judging an attacker as a whole, Salah's just that bit more complete and that bit more influential than Mane is, I'd say. I don't think there's any doubt though that he's probably been the best goal scorer in the Premier League this year. Just, just, just listen to the. I mean, Joey finished as Joey's top goal scorer. Um, he's Joey top goal scorer with his head, as you say, was six. Um, he's free clear of Salah and Aguero when you exclude penalties. So all twenty-two of his goals uh, have come not from the you know non-penalty goals, whereas Salah and Aguero finished on nineteen, Aubameyang eighteen. Um, I also like the fact that eight, all twenty-two of inside the box, and he still hasn't scored outside the area yet for Liverpool. Um, but not this season so obviously he had his, his strike at Burnley um, and Man City last season um, I think another thing we should mention too you know Mane's have received a lot of plaudits for stepping up when as, as other teammates maybe mm-hmm. aren't doing it and there's a narrative that he seems to have dragged Liverpool over the line certain times which he has done uh, Mane's won Liverpool 12 points this season in the league Sterling's won City 12 points. Aguero has won City 13 points. Sally? I think I've seen this statistic, is it? About 24? It's 24. Oh, really? Which is double. It doesn't feel like mm. it, does it? No. It, it, it's strange. And it, and it stems from what I said a couple of weeks ago in terms of you judged based on almost your own success. You're a victim of your own success. Uh so it, it it is crazy, and don't get me wrong, Mane is an absolute elite attacker, and I, and I would not. He's, he's very. You can't upgrade on that on that player really when you when you look at it. I, I've seen your comparison to Hyun Ming Son, for example, mm. who is a top attacker in himself in, in in his own way. But if you could pick one, I've seen polls to do with this. If mm. you could pick one, it'd be Mane every day of the week, without doubt. Just something else I want to run by here as well. You know, I'll, I'll trust your judgments on this, but 22 league goals um, for Liverpool. So, six with his head, five with his left foot, 11 with his right. Do you know another striker who's, or forward, who's, who's got that sort of spread over the three potential, you know, goal scoring methods, if you will, in terms of, so he can score with his left, he can score with his right, and he can score with his head. I mean, you know, for, for for comparison's sake, I, I should have checked. To be fair, my, my apologies, but I'm pretty sure Salah 19 of his 22 of his left foot. So, um, can you think of another a more complete striker in Europe? In terms of let's let's ignore the the, the chance creation. I'm talking pure finishing here. Five goals from 22 of his left foot, but he's right footed. You know, six of his head. It's no, impressive. It's, it's it's a very very important thing to mention that. It's an anomaly it's a, as well, I think. It feels like an, an anomaly. Yeah, it's a really, really, really underrated trait to be two-footed. It's such a quality um, that is just not considered. And it's amazing the amount of top professional footballers that play the game for a living can only use one foot. And if you, if you perceive the game from a st- strategic perspective... You know, when you receive the ball at your feet, you can only you can only kind of play based on your own angles and the, the angles that are presented to you based on your preferred foot. If you're competent with both feet, 
that opens up a, a completely new spectrum in terms of what you can, where, where you can present the ball, where you can shoot, where you can pass, the directions you can go in. Um, it's 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 massive, and for my age to have, to have posted those numbers of you know such variety there. That is extremely impressive. One one other player that did come to mind when you were saying that, funny enough, I've just mentioned them, is Son. Son's two-footed. I'm literally about to say. 12 goals, five of his left, seven with his right. Son. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, that is, to be fair, incredible. None with his head, though. Yeah. It's 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 a, a massive trait to be to be two-footed, to be able to use both feet, and it's it's definitely hindered Salah in certain moments. Um, you know, I can't think of too many off the top of my head, but I just think if you're able to to just naturally go with the best foot in the right moment, rather than somehow trying to um, adjust the situation so that you can hit it with your preferred foot, and you're just wasting time to an extent. Well, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of the derby. I was thinking of the derby, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Everton chance, yeah. Uh, but it's it's definitely a really under underappreciated trait that, in my opinion. When you're undertaking recruitment and things, that should be something that's definitely considered when you're signing players, especially players in attacking areas. Um, that alongside the likes of whether a player's injury prone and, you know, traits like that, that maybe often drift under the radar, but they offer a lot when you're actually on the pitch. I'm just having a little look here, actually. Aguero, to be fair to him, 21 goals, eight with his left, 10 with his right. Only two of his head, but if we're talking about feet alone, that's that's a pretty good thing. But then on the other end of the scale, you've got it. Aubameyang, 20, 22 goals. Um, how many do you reckon he scored with his left? Aubameyang? Yeah. Is he left footed? No, he's right. Right. Uh, I completely guess five. Two. two. 20 of his 22 <laughs> goals came on a strong foot. I really want to see. I mean, poor Pogba, you know... 13 goals, one with his left foot. Glenn Murray, one with his left foot. Raul Jimenez, funnily enough, one with his left foot. Um, so, you know, you know, just to, not to labour the point too much longer, but... Um, I think one player that would be interesting to see the fans is Diego Diego Jota mm. uh, at Wolves. I think he's he's, he's fairly competent with Four and five. Feet. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go, five on his left, four on his right. Feels like a real good piece that you could uh, you could get on there Mara's actually surprised me too with his right foot I didn't think he had one yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah I mean not to leave the point about Mane but you know he's unique yeah he's I think that's I think he is player. he is isn't he he's uh, and he I, I've put down here on the agenda and you know it, it, this is where we can't really quote, where the hell's this come from <laughs> you know because don't get me wrong I mean the, the, to move away from the whole you know the analytics side for one second I think Mane, and I think Jamie Carragher said this as well, I think Mane could go down as one of Liverpool's most important signings ever because he was the one he was, yeah. who turned Liverpool into a top-four team. He's also the one who scored in the Champions League final. He's been the one who's been there from the start of this Klopp revolution, if you will. Um, but I don't think anybody ever saw him becoming the player that he has. No, I mean, he, is, he, he did show up initially in the whole analytics community as to a player that was playing for the team that he could progress from at Southampton. Mm. Southampton recruited him from Salzburg when he was demonstrating good underlying numbers over there. Um, I think they recruited him at a time where Dortmund were looking at him as well, when mm. Klopp might well, have Klopp, been Klopp there. Klopp wanted him, yes. Um, but as I said, he's just a, a really unique player. Explosive, two-footed, good in the air. Um, he's got a good strike on him, can strike the ball cleanly. He's extremely unpredictable when he's on the ball a threat in behind the the only missing link there would be his creativity and if, if he can somehow provide a bit more for the players around him then you know there's another level that he can progress onto even though he's already at a ridiculous level now See, well, I'm just just completely not off track at the moment. I'm just I'm just looking at the, that Salzburg side from his last season. There's some some brilliant players in this team: Campbell, Lazaro, Hinteregger, who's just been in the uh, the um, Europa League semi-finals with Freiburg, uh, Florian Klein, uh, Stefan Sanka. Uh, you know, obviously, obviously, if you bang into your European footy, you'll sort of know some of these. Uh, Jonathan Soriano, who scored absolute tons. At Salzburg, so yeah, it's 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 is amazing. Lazaro, the right back, is it? Lazaro is the one. I think he's now a uh, Berlin. 
Pale in, yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. upcoming talents. I've, I've recommended him a couple mm. of times this season when so, I've been tasked with Yeah, he's only, he's only 23. So, yeah, it's I just like uh, Salzburg are definitely a team to, uh, to keep an eye on. Because um, that is that is some uh, some group Berisha as well. He plays for... Uh, who did he play for, Berisha? Let's have a, oh, he's a Lazio. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, okay, we we digress. Uh, go down a wormhole here looking at Red Bull Salzburg. You're getting an, in, an insight into how my weekends will be going now the football season's over. Um, so let's just talk about the game a little bit more. Um, not necessarily the game, but you know, let's let's look forward. Is this the team that starts if Firmino isn't fifth for the final? Uh, for me, probably not. Ooh. Uh, reason being, I think with it being such a high-profile game. I think Origi's been used this season in moments whereby he's got a bit of momentum behind him, having just influenced the previous match through a substitution appearance or something. This match, obviously, we I think we're without a competitive fixture for 20 days. So this is very much a standalone match. Um, and I think Klopp will... If Firmino is out, which I don't think he will be, I think Klopp will opt for a another midfielder in a way that he'd done a, you know, away at the new Camp with Wijnaldum. I think Milner or Ox would come in for Origi. Somebody would play, and I'm not exactly sure how he'd go about doing it. Maybe he'd play Wijnaldum again as the false nine. Um, maybe he'd move Salah forward to the, to, the, to the nine position and move Ox out wide, maybe. Mm. There's a variety of things you can do there, but I would be surprised to see Origi start in the final. I suppose as well, not to get too deep, but I'm sure we can talk about this um, a little bit closer to time on a di- on a different episode. But you know, I, I've got this feeling that Pochettino will go for the back back five again, even though it didn't really work in the first game. I think he'll have that drilled, and if you maybe you go for a four four two diamond, maybe you know, and it, it sort of negates that, doesn't it? In the sense that you know you've got all your players central, um, but I don't I don't know. Um, I suppose we've got to wait and, you know, basically fingers crossed for me, you know, his fist from all the noises that are being made, it, it sounds like he will be. So Liverpool finish on 97 points. Um, Manchester City sadly get 98. Uh, still can't believe that when I read it out loud. Um, as I said, you know, the summer with this podcast, we'll be looking at, you know, all sorts of, um, you know, themes that have emerged throughout the season, players, positions, tactical changes, you know, also looking forward in terms of transfers and what goes next. Um, but I think just a general overview of the season um, and almost like a snap analysis, Josh, in terms of, I know you wrote a piece on Monday um, when it was still a little bit raw, maybe that would pulled them in the league and you sort of said where this improvement came from Um but also what the next step of Klopp's evolution is going to be. So, I mean, you know, I, I suppose we'll start with, with 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 the first one in terms of how Liverpool ultimately got 25, what was it, 23, 20, 22 points more than they did last season. Um, I think at the start of the season for Liverpool to win the league, I think you were realistically looking at a 25-point swing. So I think you're looking at maybe Liverpool improving by 15, 16 points and City dropping by 10, 11 points, nine points, whatever. Um, Liverpool improved by 22, but sadly City could only drop the two from the 100-point season that they got. So how's Klopp done this? How's he how's he bridged this gap? And how is he so close to, to doing what feels like could have been the impossible? I think firstly, Alisson deserves a mention. I mm. think uh, we wouldn't be anywhere near where we are without that man. I think he goes under the radar as a... A top contributor to our team, but he is, you know, you're not getting much better than than that man. Um, he's over overperformed, obviously, what he was expected to concede. We've talked about this in the past, and he's been a, a real strong link behind uh, behind our defence, which is already strong. Um, you just think of moments throughout the season where he stepped up and made even just one big save, and as a result, he saved points for us. You know, I'm thinking of maybe Chelsea away, the Hazard chance when they were already one 0 up. I'm thinking of the derby at Anfield. Um, Andre Gomez header from about two yards. Just mom- these are good saves. They're not sort of fortunate saves. Um, you know, that Hazard one. He's he's. It's not like the balls hit him. He's had to sort of assess yeah, where well, the ball's going to go. That's a that's a good point because a lot of the 
certainly the opposition argument regarding Allison is that, say for example, he does make a top save, the argument is that the ball's just hit him. One thing that, you know, people that are well into the scouting have picked up on regarding Allison is his positioning in the goal and the way in which he alters his feet consistently in reference to where the ball is and the angle that the person's going to be shooting at almost results in the ball just hitting him, even though that's self-inflicted from his perspective. It, it doesn't look as, like, like it's the case from when you're watching the match for entertainment purposes, let's say. So just just by adjusting his positioning in the goal, it results in him looking like he's making simple saves, but he's not. Well, well he is, but it's, it's, it's his own fault that he's making simple saves, whereas a keeper such as maybe Jordan Pickford will make Hollywood saves and he maybe looks better on match of the day. But it's his fault that he's having to make those saves to an extent. I think I always think of the likes of Paul Robertson and Shea Given. You know, when you talk about those type of goalkeepers, goalkeepers who were, were making these saves because they had to, because the positioning yeah. wasn't right in the first place. Yeah, that's it. Um, and, you know, outside, Alisson... I think the way in which, the, and I covered this in the piece, I think the way in which the team's developed tactically over the course of the season has been, you know, really impressive. And I think it's it's gradually got towards the... One of the key points that I thought that I made in the piece is that the system is now in harmony. That was one of the, the things that I said. And I felt like that was a crucial point because we obviously have a squad built now whereby we have a primarily defensive midfield. You know, there's no two ways about that. Jordan Henderson, James Milner, Gini Wijnaldum, Fabinho, Naby Keita is a bit of an anomaly, and Ox has been injured. So you've got a midfield there that's predominantly about effort, hard work, graft, um, proficiency without the ball, but not a great deal in terms of creativity, key passes, dribbling, shots, you know, there's not a lot there. Um, so, for your system to still function around that, you've got to somehow get your offensive output from elsewhere. Um, and Andy Robertson's obviously offered an awful lot towards that. But before Andy Robertson, we had James Milner there, who doesn't offer that. He, he doesn't offer a, a great deal of offensive output there. Then on the opposite side, Trent, he's coming now. But previously, we had maybe Nathaniel Klein there. We had Joe Gomez there for a short mm. period, who, again, they're not as good offensively. We've now reached a point of maturity whereby we, we have that defensive midfield, but we have the offensive fullbacks to the to the outside of that midfield that allow the system to work. Ultimately, it, it, it's a functional system. You're getting the threat permanently. And, you know... Uh, I'm not sure if we're talking just yet about how we can develop moving forward. I've certainly got thoughts on that. Go for it. Uh, well, the, the way in which I think we can develop next season, tactically, is by, you know, there's a certain, a certain opponent where you will not be able to attack them as freely out wide because of their threats. And I used PSG as an example because we faced Mbappe in that fixture. I'm mm-hmm. thinking at Anfield specifically. He's obviously so fast that you, you can't really give him yards on you because he's you're not going to make them up. So Andy Robertson played a little bit more cautiously that day. Um, so then you obviously lose that wide threat on the left. Against Crystal Palace, for example, we um, faced Wilfred Zaha, for example, and we conceded three at Anfield. We still won the game, but we conceded three in total. Against City, we are up against the likes of Sane, Raheem Stale, who are both lightning quick. So your fullbacks again, can't be as offensive. So in those moments, you then need that offensive threat and you need that balance to come from the midfield then. You need some kind of attack from the midfield. And Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita both offer that slightly different uh, profile. And maybe we'll sign one in the summer as well, like someone like a Julian Brandt, who would be able to provide that different element if 
the fullbacks are able to if the fullbacks have to stay de- stay deep and stay cautious then these are players that you could play in midfield and they provide a similar threat specifically Ox who is naturally a winger so he'd naturally drift out wide anyway and provide a similar threat to Alexander-Arnold but you'd still have that deeper presence to co- cope with the likes of you know Zaha or someone like that or Sane. Um so I think that's where we're going to develop and I think as I said this season we've just developed in the sense of our system is now perfectly balanced we have the safety in midfield the coverage in midfield we've got the offensive threat out wide and we've got just unpredictability and goals up front the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo i mean it may seem like we're sort of nitpicking here but ultimately you know you do need to talk about improvements despite the fact that it's a 97 point season because Liverpool might need 100 points next season and this is this is the stark reality. Man City aren't going anywhere. They're only going to get stronger. Um, you know, even if maybe the points total doesn't, it, it just feels like, you know, I saw, I saw a statistic of if you, if you extrapolate Pep Guardiola's win percentage in his league campaigns, um, the only sort of anomaly there is the um, first season at City, strangely enough. But if you pretty much extrapolate all of his uh, win percentages, then you know he's he's basically clocking a ninety-three point season every time. Um, so you know he's overperforming at the minute, but at the same time, it, it, it's not like Man City are going to have a season probably where they get sixty-five points one year. They, they are what they are. Um, so you know, we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment in terms of you know marginal gains and basically how Liverpool can can sustain a challenge going forward into next season. But, you know, let's just celebrate a couple of things. I've just had a little look at the data this morning and, um, you know, some little things that you might not know about here, but it kind of, to me, shows, uh, I'll get Josh's thoughts now as well, on that, you know, Klopp is sort of nailing it at Liverpool. So, you know, you talk about XG, expect the goals. Well, Liverpool have the second best XG per shot, which basically means when they're creating chances, they're creating good chances. Um, they're also the third least XG per shot conceded, which is the flip side of it. it means that when they're giving up chances, they're not giving up good chances. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're restricting the opportunities, which I know was a big criticism of Liverpool um, last season and, and earlier on, in Klopp's reign. Um, and Liverpool ahead of the city in both of these metrics. So you can look at it this two ways. Liverpool can't improve that. You know, they're, they're basically they're creating those chances as well as they can almost as well as they can only Arsenal beat them in that sense um, and they certainly you know the, 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 there aren't many teams who are giving up shots as, as well as uh, Liverpool do um, but City can fall a little bit more so I mean it, it, is it good you know what the Liverpool do do they just hope that City fall or is there little adjustments they can make there Josh do they just have to aim to be basically top for XG per shot and, and basically Bottom for XG per shot conceded is that is that is that the the, the, the thing they strive for? I think it's how do you do it? Like it, it, it is tricky because realistically speaking, there's not a great deal more we can do. Uh, we are we've been superb this season at the whole marginal gains thing, the one percent, employing a, a throwing coach, doing that little bit more on set pieces that you know without doubt I assume the large majority probably won't have picked up on but just you can tell there's an awful lot going on behind the scenes I remember there was a point where Klopp wanted to um, introduce kind of like curtains almost at Melwood and that's to do with those little edges that we're getting behind the scenes that we're gaining through you know expert coaches and we've got PhDs employed at the club and the whole analytics thing we are getting those edges and we are getting those little marginal gains, but it's still not been enough by a point. And it's, you've almost got to say, like, you've just got to keep doing what you're doing. There's, yeah. there's not a great deal you can do more there. I mean, you could say, like, you know, you, we could be super critical, but it's a case of Liverpool have been outstanding this season and we still have fallen ever so slightly short. I think from a mental perspective, how you're perceiving results. I think this year Klopp's been very, very focused on 
managing the narrative and I think he's been really cautious in regard to not letting the media get carried away with the whole bottlers um, mm. narrative, which I don't think applies at all. But there was a period where we did look a little bit shaky. And I think in those moments, Klopp chose to secure draws rather than defeats, almost to keep that narrative in, <clears throat> in check. I think next season, if we are in those moments whereby we're drawing and you can stick or twist, maybe just twist, just just see what happens. If you do sustain a defeat, so be it. We've shown this season that we're an elite team. We're hopefully going to win the European Cup. So we're going to be European champions. And maybe next season that narrative will be, be a little bit less intense. And maybe if we do suffer the odd defeat, maybe in the second half of the season or whatever, um, then so be it. Maybe the narrative won't be as, as intense as it was this season. Um, but it, it really is tricky. I think we can we can potentially improve in terms of performance. And those little Oxlade-Chamberlain adjustments that I've just mentioned will help in that mm. regard. It's just in terms of results, we've lost once yeah. all season. We've lost once. I wonder if that will, again, you know, does that play on Klopp's mind? You know, elite teams lose. Elite teams can lose four times in a season and still win the Premier League. The City. You know, exactly. City, yeah. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, it, you know, it felt like it dawned on him later on in the campaign. You know, I'm thinking about Southampton and Spurs in particular. Um where he's just gone for it and you know Liverpool end up 4-2-4 against Tottenham with uh, Sissoko with a 2-on-1 against Van Dijk for example and you know if they go for it against United or, or Everton you know do they then have to do they do the same thing against Tottenham or does he take the draw That it's hard to, it's hard to know um, one thing that the, the, the I've sort of had a look at sort of the, the, the rankings in the Premier League and a whole load of uh, statistical metrics Um I was just just one that stuck out to me, and I was just wondering, you know, your take on it. Quite low on one versus one dribbling success. So the seventh in terms of attempts, but they're actually sixteenth in accuracy. Um, is that something to improve? Does they have to improve? Is that part of their style? You know, one on one dribbling. I think it's part of our style. Yeah, I think a lot of our. I think Klopp is a, a chaos of coach. Klopp's about chaos and madness, intensity. The polar opposite to Pep, mm. um, who obviously prioritises control. And they're top of both of these metrics, by the way. So Yeah, well, there you <laughs> go. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think Klopp's gradually realised that in the Premier League, you can't just consistently be mad, mad and, ca- and chaotic week in, week out. I think you need to instigate a degree of control, at least to some extent, but I think we've done that whilst wanting to retain our chaotic identity, if you mm. like. So our possession game is it's controlling and it's assertive, but it's also a bit mad and we take a lot of risks, very unpredictable. And if you look at our attackers, you know, Salah and Mane in particular and Firmino are all a bit like they try an awful lot, an awful lot fails, an awful lot works. You don't know what they're going to do most of the time. They're just chaotic players. And it coincides with our style of play. But that's largely why the, the dribbling's probably slightly off. Like, I, I looked at those dribbling numbers. And the, the top four of our dribblers are made up of Salah, Mane, Firmino, Robertson. They're our four most frequent dribblers. Um, Salah's success rate is 59%. That's, for those who don't know, that's pretty bad. Um, Azad, for example, is 79. Mm. That's 20% more. And Azad dribbles an awful lot more than Sane, eh, Salah too. Mane's is 64.6%, which again isn't great. Robertson's is 60%. So I think that, that dribbling success rate as a whole is probably largely shaped by those those players. Firmino's is quite good. You know, I obviously didn't mention that there. But the other three in the top four fours, they're not great. And I think it just stems from the risks that they're able to take. They're able to try things in certain areas. If they don't come off, no problem. 
just as soon as the opposition win the ball, we pressed them, we created a little bit of chaos. But I think it's it's just allowed. It's We don't want excessive control. We want to try things. We want to mm. take risks. We want to be a bit bit mad to an extent. Um, and that's obviously seeped into our trouble. So just a few more little marginal, marginal, marginal gains. You know, we're talking about, it was one point ultimately. Um, you know, could they maybe can see the few, you know, some uh, fewer shots, you know, the second in the league, but City are far away, you know, 281 shots Liverpool conceded um, versus City's 215, albeit, as we've said before, the expected goals conceded per shot is... Is um is is lower, but you know basically City do concede. Uh, you know what's that? Uh, 50, 60, 66 shots fewer over the thirty eight games. That's two a game, um pretty much. They're also mid table Liverpool for ball losses. Although I think that's Liverpool's style. I think they're happy to give seed possession because they can win it back. Um, the third on progressive runs per per game, and Man City are first. The um, also third on deep completions City are top and average six more a game these are all just like little tiny things I mean again does this matter Josh or is it just a case of doing what Liverpool have to do let's not worry about City City could drop Liverpool could could improve and, and that's where it'll happen yeah I think a lot of those just stem from style style yeah traits. Uh, City are obviously just Control freaks. They they want everything under their control. Every single factor in the in a match under their control. Um, interestingly, the XG per shot that you mentioned, City is, is quite bad for that. City are the third worst mm. in the league, which basically, but but they obviously can see the fewest shots in terms of shots that they allow, not shots that actually go in goal. So, so basically, when you get in behind them, yeah, you've got you, a chance. Yeah, if you get through them, the shots that you do take that you are able to take. Are usually quite clear cut mm. in comparison to Liverpool. The only problem is, obviously, very few of those, very few of those chances actually occur. And as I said, I just think it stems from style. City have ultimate control, but when you do actually get through them, you've got a clear cut chance because of how open the space is. And Liverpool, you will get more chances, but those chances will be worse quality just because of the the, the players that you'll maybe have in and around you the central coverage that we have in, you know, Joe Gomez, maybe Joel Massive, Van Dijk, um, Fabinho, Henderson, Milner, these are all players that occupy central areas and ultimately don't let you through. So if you're not able to get shots off in central areas, you're probably going to be taking them from difficult angles, maybe at the corner of the box or things like that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're just critical critical things that are almost difficult to, to even comment on I think one thing we could potentially improve on is beating rivals in and around us mm. I think we've been better at, than City have funnily enough at beating the poor teams if well, you like. I mean statistically that's, that is true you know Liverpool yeah, yeah. did the 60 points out of 60 against the bottom 10 yeah <laughs> um, you know we obviously drew with United mm. we drew with Everton we drew with Arsenal we drew with Chelsea all away from home, funny mm. enough. Um, so if we're able to... And, and you know what? I think that stemmed back to what I've mentioned about against these top teams, your fullbacks are less inclined to be able to attack. Mm. So you've then got to have a bit of a midfield in terms of attacking. Ox is such a trait against big teams. Um, just because we're more inclined to be a bit more of a, a pressing and a counter-attacking team in those moments. And you're so good at carrying the ball to the attack and acting as a you know, situational fourth attacker despite playing in midfield. So I think that'll be a big benefit next season. But if we were able to if we was able to just beat one of those teams I've just mentioned, I hate saying this. Yeah. It's, it's hindsight. Mm. But if we could have just beat one of those top opponents, but away from home, we win the league. It's mm. it's, it's hard to take. The last one about it. Well, we have this very, very, you know, brief overlook of, of the season. Uh, PPDA, you know, all their uh, long-time fans of the pod will know that stands for passes per defensive action. Um, it basically measures pressing. Um, it's the way Scout uses um, 
to use just to measure pressing. Um, and, you know, we, we, we made a lot about the, the, the pressing at Liverpool and it, it has sort of dropped off a little bit this season. Um, six this year in terms of Premier League. Um, Everton second, funnily enough, um, which is interesting in terms of Michael Silva. But yeah, Liverpool sixth. Last year they were fourth. The year before they were third. And in Klopp's first season, albeit Rodgers was there for nine games, they were second. So there's a clear trend here of the press and dropping from second in the league to third to fourth to sixth. I suppose, you know, two things here, Josh. Number one, will this continue? Or do you think Liverpool are at a level that Klopp is probably happy at? And number two, why has this happened? I think that's a, a really great point to make. It's something that's come up occasionally throughout the course of the season, but no one's been really too sure as to whether it's just... It's, a little trend that's happened at the time or whether it's something to actually, you know, take as as a result almost. Over the course of a 38-game season, now you can obviously take that as gospel. So if we're now sixth, it obviously depends on other teams too to, as to whether they've gone up and down. But if we're now sixth after, you know, we've, we've essentially drifted one or two places each year mm. under Klopp. And I think it's a case of we now have... It's a number of things, but I think it stems from A, we now have the personalities and the profiles to soak pressure. We've obviously got Van Dijk, who's superb aerially. We've got Alisson, who's able to come and catch crosses. Alisson, who's able to console situations. And if we need if we need him to step up and provide a moment out of nowhere after being relatively unfazed for large periods he will do so Robertson's obviously a top defender Matip's performing out of his skin so we've now got players that can soak pressure and as a result of that you don't really have to press the opposing team into the ground you can invite that pressure almost let them fail to an extent and then counter attack them um, I think it also stems from the, the control that we want to instigate we still obviously want to be a bit chaotic, but we do want a bit more control over per seasons. And if we see more of the ball and if we're in control of situations more, we obviously have to press less to an extent. Um, and that XG per shot that you mentioned there, this season, what, where, where are we this season? I think we're 17th, was it, in terms of like how good the quality is from the opposition perspective? Yes, yeah. Well... Last season we was fourth, so last, yeah, I get it now. I think they were eight, third from bottom, so eighteenth they were this season yeah, in last, terms of last season. There was only three teams that conceded roughly better quality shots, so in better locations and things like that. Last the season before that we were fifth, so we were regularly conceding decent shots. On the goal. Because this That's was the thing about Minyale, if you remember, in terms of people were defending him. And, and right, like, Liverpool went through that weird spell, didn't they? I think it was Minyale and Carius where they were conceding the first shot on target. Yeah, but that... That's I, because I, they were good shots on target. They were yeah. coming in the danger zone. Yeah. Now that's no longer the case. That's completely flipped. And whereas now we were... Whereas then we were fourth and fifth, where you don't want to be. Now we're like 16th, 17th maybe. I can't remember what it was. Um... And that, that does stem from you're not pressing like maniacs no more. So, obviously, if you press like, like psychopaths, then you can be you can be torn open if that press doesn't work. You look at Barcelona, for example, in the new Camp. When we did press, we did very well. But there was the odd moment where Messi and the likes got through that press and the chances that they got as, as a result were really open. Open goals to an extent. Uh, so... I think it's ultimately benefited us, the fact that we've become a little bit more streetwise, a little bit more pragmatic. We're obviously still a pressing team and we've maintained our identity. We've just translated it, I think, over to results, basically. So we've got that identity instilled and now we're a bit more results-focused. I think this is the first season whereby Klopp's actually said from the off, we're going to try and win a title now. I think this is our first real go at it. And you can tell that by the results that we've sustained. Um, but it's, it's a positive change for me. And I think I'd be surprised if we dropped much lower than this now, though. I think 
sixth in the league for PPDA. That's where I'm roughly happy. And mm. I think Klopp would be the same. Of course, PPDA as well is a way of putting out. It doesn't necessarily translate into success. I think 7-4-8 was uh, Huddersfield Town. So it just goes to show and you... Ever, that Everton the second. Everton the second. <laughs> so it, it just shows you. It doesn't mean the more, more you press, the more you win. Um, although I do think City were top, were they? Uh, hang on a minute, let me just double check that. Or was it Chelsea? It might have even been... Um, hang on a second, here we are. Oh no, I'm not even on PPDA. Carry on talking. It's all right, okay. Um, but I just know, and I know Everton was seconds. I think, I think Liverpool might have just eked out Man United as well. Um, over the because I know Liverpool were seventh, but uh, they, they, they maybe just uh, bumped over because there's there's another thing as well. While we keep on stalling, while Josh is trying to get the PPDA up, is um, Mourinho and Socia and the idea that you know Socia the team presses a lot more. That that that's not true. The, the fact is, Mourinho's side had a higher PPDA than than Socia's. Um We might get that. We might answer the question to that in a moment. Um, Tottenham. I know Tottenham were above Liverpool in the PPDA table, um, and they will also play Liverpool in the Champions League final on June first in Madrid. Um, we spoke last time we met for the podcast was Tuesday. Um, sorry, Wednesday um, after Liverpool beat Barcelona um, and Ajax hadn't played Tottenham at that point and I think we were both pretty certain that we wanted Ajax to, to go through um, and it looked like it was going absolutely swimmingly um, for a good half of football, maybe even more um, and then enter Lucas Moura I don't know about you Josh but it, it, the place isn't the right way but I just felt a little bit of a pang when Tottenham went through, it, it wasn't a nice feeling Um you know, twofold, number one, completely and utterly, you know, hands up here. I, I, I don't want to, I, I, I think Liverpool should play a European Cup final against the, a, a European team. Obviously, Tottenham are in Europe, but you know what I mean, a, a continental team. Um, and number two, I just, there's just a horrible feeling I just can't shake. Um, and I, I, I think you're probably the same. Yeah, I was gutted. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't take it well. It was. It was a very up and down week, though. You know, the it the was, high yeah. of Newcastle, yeah. then the low of company, then the high of Barca, and it's relative low. But the the, the low of Tottenham getting through. Yeah, just on that PPDA, we, Go got, ahead, there, we got there in the end. Yeah, City are top. Yeah. City are top. Yeah, so. Uh, so they obviously. What's allowed. the top six then? Is City, Everton, City, Everton, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, Chelsea. Liverpool, United. United. So interesting to there, all the top teams really. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Apart from Wolves. Wolves. Wolves are right at the bottom because they don't press. Wolves are... I think they're probably... 18th. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say maybe Cardiff. Cardiff 19th, Bournemouth, Bournemouth. Bournemouth, 20th. yeah. It's interesting. interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah just, back just on Spurs. Yeah. I, I was gutted, yeah. I, I said last week that I'd like Ajax for two reasons. Number one, because if we were going to lose to any team, I'd like it to be Ajax because mm. I'm a fan of them. And... Secondly, I think we're much more stylistically suited to beating Ajax. One of the reasons I think we've done so well in Europe on the clock gradually is I think European teams are shocked by our intensity and the tempo at which we play the game and the fitness fitness levels. Barcelona were on knees at, mm. at, at certain points and this is an elite team. That Messi, Suarez with the hands on the knees at, at certain points. And I think the tempo which we play at, it's just, it's crazy. It's just constant, constant, constant pressure. Um, wave after wave of attack. And it's hard to deal with. Ajax are obviously very free-flowing and they're quick themselves. But this is a team with an average age of around 23 playing in the Dutch league, which is considerably below our standard. And... Although they're a top team and they've done, you know, people will point at the fact that they knocked out Juve and they knocked out Real Madrid. They are not like Liverpool. The, mm. the top elite names, don't get me wrong, but stylistically, they're not unlike Liverpool. I think Liverpool would have knocked out Real and Juve over two legs this season. So do I, yeah. yeah. Um, Liverpool would have been a completely different proposition in terms of intensity and I'm not, I'm not sure if our listeners watched the Spurs Ajax second leg. I certainly did. And the way the second leg went in terms of Spurs just coming and coming and coming. 
that's how I would have envisaged the final to be. I think Ajax, uh, as I said, they're a very free-flowing team. And they look great and they look very unpredictable when you're watching them. But if you condense the pitch into one half and the opposing team hasn't got quick outlets on the break, I mean, they've got Neres and they've got Ziyech and they've got Tadic. None of them are slow, but it's similar to Barcelona in, in, in the sense that you you can squeeze the game against these players and those attackers that I've just mentioned, they're not much quicker than Trent, Van Dijk, Gomez, Robertson. They're not much quicker than them. Mm-hmm. So we would have been able to squeeze the game. I actually would have struggled, I think, with our tempo, our intensity, our fitness. Spurs, on the other hand, alongside us, are one of the most intense teams in Europe. Uh, play at a very high pace, high tempo. And... Although their fitness levels were tailing off, they've now got 20 days to prepare for this final, which is, for me, the main worry. The main worry is if we're playing against the Spurs that are going to be, or should be, highly revitalised and back to 100%. So it's likely going to be a highly um, high-tempo match, very intense, and uh, it'll be much trickier than it would have been. How much can we can we deduce from the two meetings this season? Uh, the, the the Wembley game feels like a, a lifetime ago now. It just doesn't feel like the same two teams, and obviously the, the personnel are the same and the setups were the same. But that that feels like such a long, 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 long time ago. Um, and then you know how much can you even take from the most recent game at um, at Anfield in March? I think the Wembley fixture was was a strange game because we seem to treat Spurs as though they were a really bad team inferior yeah yeah. that was the, that was the game where I believed Liverpool were true title contenders and it was only five six games in I think it was the fifth game but but Spurs seemed to was... accept it too mm. Spurs seemed to go into that a bit almost full of fear mm. I thought obviously they see they see us and they see them and we'd progressed over that summer with obviously signed Van Dijk in the January. Spends a lot of money. Alisson, Cater, Fabinho. Um, and I th- there was a clear upgrade there. And I think we'd won every match in a row up until the Spurs game. I'm not too sure on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we had a bit of an aura about it, I thought. Uh, whereas Spurs obviously hadn't invested. And Pochettino probably will have bigged us up in the pre-match. Um, they just lost to Watford as well. Yeah, they just lost to Watford. And they just played with fear, I thought, and we really dominated the game. They, we, we could have won that. We, we ended up winning 2-1, but I think we could have won it about 4-5-0, f- mm. genuinely. Uh, in the Liverpool match at Anfield, it was a lot tighter. Obviously, we ended up winning somehow. It was the stupidest goal. But the contest offered a, li- a little bit more into how closely matched the two teams are. Both very intense, as I say. Both will try to squeeze the game. Both will try to keep creating waves and waves of pressure. Um, and Spurs are one of the few teams that I've seen over the years be able to really pen us in and keep coming and, and us struggle to, to get out. They've done it two consistent years in a row, I think, I don't feel it's, it's for like half-hour periods. Yeah, They've done it for a long... I remember VR, and this is going way back, and it's got no bearing on what happens in Madrid, but I remember Vias Boas's um, Tottenham coming to Anfield in 2015. 12 13, it was Rogers' first season, and I hadn't seen it up to that point. So the team have a better 20 minute spell than split. The Vatongan scored twice, um, in that spell. The, the it, 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 it is this thing where they just click on a, a switch against Liverpool, and for 20 minutes, they just Liverpool can't li- live with them. Well, I, I wrote a piece when the initial when we got through and when Spurs got through on Spurs, and it hasn't actually gone out yet. Um, I've just had a little chatters to why and obviously holding it when it gets closest to the date mm. but in that piece I wrote that Liverpool are almost like a Spurs are almost playing like a bigger brother to an extent mm. a more mature version of we're actually we're, for me we are what Spurs are trying to be the team that have developed into a very intense elite mature team and I think Spurs have been at a ceiling for a number of years now We've consistently raised our ceiling based on the signings we've made. Um, so don't get me wrong, for me, we are still a favourite here. 
and we are a more mature version of Spurs. But Spurs is still a very dangerous opponent, and they're a team that are capable, more capable than most, at dealing with what we've got at our disposal and our overall style, intensity, fitness levels, speed, mobility. Um, so it'll be a tight game. It's, I'm not anywhere near as confident as I would have been if we had faced Ajax, who, to many people's perspectives, looked like the more dangerous team. Spurs are still at top side. And uh, I wouldn't overly look at the fact that we've beat them twice because the second result in, in particular shouldn't really have happened. That was a draw, that game. Mm. We ended up scoring via an own goal in the 93rd minute, maybe, or whatever. Uh, so it's it's going to be a tight final between two very modern, intense teams. Well, if that hasn't put nuts in your stomach, I don't know what will. Thank you very much, Josh. <laughs> uh, we will, of course, be looking forward to the uh, the Champions League final a little bit more next week and then definitely in depth the week after. Uh, we'll also be looking back on the season and any trends. And, you know, if you've got any uh, things that you want us to, to, to touch upon, to look at, uh, there is a Facebook group, uh, the Blood Red, uh, the Blood Red group. Um, so if you listen to the Blood Red, get onto Facebook and uh, throw any, in any suggestions there. Josh is also on Twitter at Distance Covered. I'm at Christian underscore Walsh. Um, and throw up any sort of suggestions you have that you want us to talk about over the summer. I'm sure we'll get into transfers at some point after the final as well. So thanks very much for joining us this week. Uh, the Premier League season is over, but Liverpool still have their eyes on one big final prize. Fingers crossed that the next couple of weeks go swimmingly. We'll speak to you next time. Take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.